When I was at, um, at seminary, I had to get a job. I did not like that. I was not a big fan of, of getting jobs. Um, it meant you had to ask someone to do something for you, and they could say no, and I didn't like that. Um, but I, I somehow was able to build up the courage, and so I got a job at the, at the bookstore at, at Duke. And so it's the, kind of like at the, the UT Union, it was the, the campus-wide, and so it was like a lot of different books. There were, there's a lot of um, junior high camps at, at Duke throughout the summer. So I was working there in the summer, and there was a Harry Potter book that was released that summer. And so it was crazy. It was like a crazy town, lines out the door at midnight. Um, it was a very interesting experience. But I was, I was there, and I would take, take Hebrew in the morning, and then I would go and work at the bookstore. And I would just like sit there and read books, and you know, when you... You sit in a bookstore for a long time, your eyes kind of wander. It's like, oh, look at all these other things here. These are interesting. And one of my eyes um, fell upon this book called Bread. That's what it was. It just said Bread. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting title for a book. And so I went and get, you can imagine what it, what it was about. It was about making bread. But it was also, it was about like industrial side. And so there was like, okay, do you want to make like 600 loaves or 1,200 loaves or five? It's like, I'm going to go with five. <laughs> start, start small. But, and so I, I started looking through it, and I was like, wow, this is something I think I could do. I did it. It was like making bread at home with this amazingly romantic experience. Like, oh, my gosh, bread. Who makes bread? So this is the early 2000s. There was still there wasn't a lot. I knew people who had a bread machine, but that just kind of tastes like uh, Mrs. Baird's anyway. And so it wasn't that dramatic, but it was like, wow, I just have to do this and this in wait? I'm really good at waiting. That's awesome. <laughs> and it would turn out, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And then I would come to the seminary and be like, hey, do you guys want some bread? And they would be like, yeah, I'll take a piece of bread. <laughs> and I was like, oh, people are looking at me. This is nice. <laughs> I really... I really enjoyed this experience of, of making bread. Uh, and, I, and then I realized, you know, there's this, there's this great distinction because I never liked making cookies or cakes. And, and the difference is because when you make cookies or cakes, you're really doing chemistry. You have these chemical compounds. You have sodium bicarbonate or baking soda. And you have this, this chemical reaction to make um, the carbon dioxide. And you have to get the measurement right or else it's really, really dreadful. Um, but when you're baking bread, it's biology, it's these living things, and you activate this living thing. And there's a lot of give and flow. So if you're patient, it's really hard to make a mistake. Um, if you're impatient, it's pretty nasty. Um, but, you know, just a little patience and a little time, okay, four hours ahead of time, I'll just do this, 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 and just let it sit and wait. And that was, that was great. It was this great realization of, of making this beautiful thing. As well, um, making bread was pretty cheap. And so I could buy a 50-pound bag of flour for like 10 bucks and a little bit of yeast for about 4 or $5. And I could make like hundreds of loaves of bread. And it was great. It was like a great return on investment. I can just do this. All I got to do is like the night before, I have these loaves. It's like that could be a meal. I could just have bread and butter. And it's, you know, homemade bread and butter is delicious. It's really, really good. It doesn't feel like a prison. <laughs> but it's this beautiful thing. But even before I, I started baking bread and experiencing it, I knew you could not eat flour. This is flour. Have any of you tried to eat it before? <laughs> I think I've accidentally put some in my mouth before, and you have this sensation 
because I have this distinct memory. I don't know, I was probably very small, but it's very memorable. It's like burning your hand on a stove because it's just like the flower covers your mouth and you're just like, pleh, 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 pleh. And like you can't swallow it. You can't, you'd have to like lean back and get a funnel in your mouth to get it down your throat because it just sticks to everything. It's completely inedible. But it's this amazing thing. Flower is this amazing thing. It comes from, from wheat, from fields of wheat, and turns into wheat berries. Wheat berries themselves are not very edible. Um, you have to boil them a long time in a stew. And then if you like chewing a lot, they're good. <laughs> if you don't like chewing 100 times for every bite, you're not really going to like wheat berry stew. But then you grind it up. And this is whole wheat flour. So this is the whole wheat berry. You grind it up. And suddenly, with a few little manipulations, you can feed a lot of people. You can feed a lot of people. On your bulletin is an old mill, is a picture of an ancient mill. And you see, there's like, there's one person pouring the wheat berries, and there's two people pushing along, and there's a donkey. It's a big process. This is not, mills, uh, wheat mills were not private affairs. You didn't have one in your backyard. It was a community thing. It was a communal thing. The whole community was based around making the bread, around making what this inedible thing into something that can give sustenance. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the bread of life. These passages in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You who come to me will not hunger. One of the central acts of the Christian faith is communion, is the Lord's table, is Jesus saying, this is my body given for you. Bread is not an idle metaphor in the Bible. Jesus doesn't just go like pick and choose like random things that he sees. Like, oh, well, you know, God is like us peers in a, in a church building and that kind of thing. He doesn't do like that. He's not like uh, Kevin Spacey at the end of The Usual Suspects when this, this big reveal when he's like, I used to be in a barbershop quartet in Skokie, Illinois. Do you remember that movie? And he's just like, he sees a sign that says Skokie, Illinois. And it's like, you realize he's just making everything up on the fly. Like none of this is real. That's not what Jesus is doing. Bread is not just this idle metaphor. That's not what is going on. We cannot survive on flour. Flour can't end our hunger. If you get home from a hard day and all you have in your pantry is flour, you're going to be hungry a little while longer. What does it even mean to be hungry? That's what I want us to think about today. What does it mean to be hungry? How are we hungry? So when we look at flour, we can't eat it. It is not ready yet. Or think about a family dinner in, in your past, maybe when you were a child and there was like a Christmas dinner or an Easter dinner and, and they, had, they had it all set out and they had, you know, like the turkey and the fixins and the rolls and you thought, oh man, those rolls look really good. And you wanted to go and grab one. It's like, what? No one's going to care. And then your aunt comes out of the blue and slaps you on the wrist. <laughs> it's like you can't eat yet. It's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. We are human though. We have appetites. We have appetites. We have hungers. The word appetite usually only refers to, to hunger for food, but, it's, but it really means all sorts of desires. All sorts of desires. What do you desire? What is the thing you want? None of us desire only one thing. We have a multiplicity of desires. 
We desire comfort and rest. We desire joy and satisfaction. We desire appreciation and friendship. We desire to not be in pain. We desire contact with our loved ones and companionship. We desire as well, we desire ice cream and cake and bread and, and scallops and all sorts of wonderful things. We have, we have appetites. We have a lot of appetites. After, after the service today, most of us are going to, to have a meal. You're going to have a lunch of some kind. And then you're going to be hungry again. <laughs> and then you will hopefully be able to eat another meal. And then you'll be hungry again. And then you'll wake up in the morning. And it's like, oh, you know, you may like, I should eat food. I don't really feel like it, but I should be eating right now. That's, at least that's me in the mornings. And, and this takes place over and over again. Or you may be like after, at the end of the day, you're tired and you get, you're able to sit down in your comfortable chair and like, oh, this is good. Take your shoes off and you're comfortable. But then you're going to have to get up again. And you have to you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and that, that just doesn't last forever. We're eventually going to be uncomfortable again. We have appetites. We have appetites and most of them seem like they will never be satisfied. This passage that, that Jim read from John 6 is, is this amazing chapter of the Bible. John 6 covers a lot of ground. Before this, Jesus has, has turned, bread, turned the loaves into feeding a multitude of people. That's the kind of illusion that's going on. It's like, oh, you guys are just coming here because you want some free food. Um, but he, he does a lot of stuff in this passage. And there's a lot of big words. And it's been challenging for the church for a long time. But what I really want to focus on for today from this passage is the amazing fact that God sees us. That God sees us and God sees why we seek. Not just why we seek God, but why we seek anything in general. That all humans are seekers of a kind. The stasis is impossible in human life. You never stay in the same place. Your heart is always beating. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. I'm going to fly like an eagle. No, sorry. God sees why we seek, but also sees how so often our hungers are distorted. Our hungers can be distorted. And again, hunger is not just hunger for good or bad food. Hungers can be for for healthy sexuality or unhealthy sexuality. Human desires are so much more expansive than that. And there are ways that people abuse those desires. And there are ways of abusing other people with those desires. And so often pride and selfishness are made most manifest in an over-concern for self-satisfaction at the expense of the desires of others in our life. Or a focus on the times when we felt satisfied. Those times, that way we distort into nostalgia if we th- when we think that, oh, if only life would go back to how it was when I was comfortable, when I was sitting in that chair, when I was having that meal then everything would be better. That all these problems would go away if I could just be that person that I used to be. But as, as the most realistic of the books of the Bible says, the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All we are is dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. And yet, God was not satisfied with that. God was not satisfied with us just being dust, with us just being nostalgic, with us just distorting ourselves, with human beings just 
bumping up against each other, just abusing each other, just taking from each other. God was not satisfied with that. God is not satisfied with our condition. Instead, God offers himself to us, a bread that satisfies, a bread that fills us, a bread that gives life, a bread that does not give us gluten-induced inflammation, a bread that gives life, a bread offered fully and totally to us because God has offered God's self to us fully and totally. Our labor cannot save us. Our labor produces this flour. Our labor mills us, but it is not enough. Our labor is not enough to save us, and we grow hungry again. We grow hungry again and again. And as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. Our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless with thoughts of who am I? What is my purpose? What is my meaning in life? Where do I find value? Where do I find fulfillment? Where do I find comfort? How can I be in this world? How can I exist in this world? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I a failure? Have I disappointed my family? Have I disappointed my friends? Have I disappointed God? These thoughts that keep on wrestling with us. Our hearts are restless when we try to rest in ourselves and in our own labor. It's trying to live off flour. It doesn't get very far. We don't get very far. Our hearts are restless when we try to pretend that we don't have hungers or desires. Our hearts are restless when we think all of our desires are good no matter what, no matter what happens. Which is like this episode of the show Portlandia, which some of you may have seen. And so there's this character, um, Carrie, and she's, she's doing a puzzle. That's a, you, can, you can find this puzzle called Foul Play and Cabernet. And so it's a mystery puzzle. It's a wine-drinking mystery puzzle. And so you have to have a bottle of wine, and you do the puzzle, and you figure out the mystery as you're doing the puzzle. So she's doing this puzzle, and she hears this loud music from her neighbor. She's in an apartment, and she hears this loud music, and she goes up and knocks on the door. It's like, hi, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do this, this puzzle, and you need to concentrate. The music is a little loud, and, he's, and the neighbor is like, wow, you know, I can see how you would feel that, but I'm just living my truth. Um, don't, don't you want me to live my truth? You be you. You be you. And she's like, okay, can't we find a happy medium? It's like, you be you. Okay, so she goes back and, you know, she's back down and the music's a little louder. Then she kind of, like, hears, thinks she hears a gunshot. And she goes up and she knocks on the door and she, she sees, like, an, um, you know, one of those SS banners? It's, like, on the floor. And she was like, it sounded like a fight here. And he's like, well, I can, I can see how you would think that. Um, but you, you be you. I'm just living my truth. I'm just living my truth. And so, and so she goes back again. And one last time, you know, then, then it's like, then she hears a screaming and goes up. And there's blood everywhere. And it's like, and then the cops bust in. And it's this whole thing. And then he's like, um, it's like, we are arresting you for murder. And he's like, but officer, officer, I'm just living my truth. <laughs> That's it. That's the end of it. And the, the cops go away. It's fantastic. But, but it's, it's, you know, it's this escalation of an ideology that self-expression is the most important thing in the world. Because there's other people in our life, right? There's other people in this world. And if our own self-expression comes at the expense of others in our world um, and the love of others, there's, there's, there's consequences for that. 
It'd be great if he was just on an island. If you're just on an island and there's nothing else, then it's, it's different. But we do not live on an island. We live among people. We live in community. We live in community no matter where it is, no matter how isolated we may feel. There are other people in our life. It, in coming to church, we try to live in a community that cares for each other. Where the fact that you are here matters to the other people. That it's not just a blip on the spreadsheets that churches have to fill out over and over again. That it matters that you are here. In a place that does not put our personal self-expression as the ultimate goal of life. Instead, that the flourishing of the hungry, the flourishing of the child, of the widow, the flourishing of the immigrant, of the naked, that is our ultimate goal. Offering that and finding satisfaction in that and rest in that. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Are there any of you out here who are weary this morning? Are there any of you who are looking for some rest? Do you know anyone out in the world who is weary this morning? Who is tired, who is looking for some rest, who is seeking a bread of life and only keeps ending up with flour? It's not quite there. It doesn't satisfy. God sends us out to remind others that there is hope and peace and love offered at this table. That is, that, is, that is the good news. The good news is not just being a part of a club. The good news that in the bro- midst of the brokenness of this world, in the midst of the weariness, of the isolation, in the midst of the soul-crushing labors so many have to experience, there is hope and there is life and there is love and there are people who want to see you as a child of God and offer you the bread of life. And God sends us out Not only to remind others of that, but to remind ourselves that when we speak the good news of Jesus Christ, we are reminded that that good news also speaks to us. That we are loved. That we are forgiven. That we are not our weakness. We are not our faults. We are not the labors of our hands. We are not the worst things people have said about us. We are not the best things people have said about us. We are even more than that. We are beloved. You are beloved. God doesn't tell us to find ourselves. Jesus doesn't tell us to go find ourselves. Jesus tells us that we are found in the love that is God. That we have a place there. A resting place there. Our ultimate hunger is not self-actualization, but self-offering. Self-offering on the model of the Lord who offered himself to us on the cross. Self-offering of the Lord who offered himself to us at this table, who said, I am the bread of life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.